Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And by Peony on Magazine Street, exceptional women's and children's clothes and gifts. From NOLA Pizza in the NOLA Brewing Tap Room on Chapatula Street in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Rashidi, Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and director of the award-winning Birkenrode Reports. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Rashidi. Welcome to Out to Lunch. There are simple facts about the economy that we all know. One of them is that the way most people in the United I'm sorry. One of them is the way most people in the United States accrue wealth is through the appreciation of the value of a home. The fatal flaw with this foundational economic principle is easily demonstrated here in New Orleans with over 50% of New Orleanians renting, not because they've made some maverick financial decision about home ownership, but simply because they can't afford to buy a house. The other economic principle that we all know is this. There's a growing wealth gap in the country and in our city. The reason we know these simple facts about the economy is because we hear these types of conversations often. What we don't hear very often is what are the solutions to the problems of housing and wealth inequality. But there are people working on these issues, people who are making a difference in closing the wealth gap in the U.S. and here in New Orleans. Two of them are my lunch guests today, Nicole Barnes and William Stout. Nicole Barnes is the executive director of the Jericho Road Episcopal Housing Initiative. Jericho Road works to provide affordable housing in two ways. They develop and build affordable houses, and they work with people who would normally be unable to afford a house. They put together loans and financing that can get a person into their own home for a down payment of $1,500. Yes, you heard that correctly, $1,500. Nicole Barnes, welcome out to lunch. Thank you for having me. William Stout is the executive director of Rebuilding Together New Orleans. You might think that we invented the concept of rebuilding here in New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina nearly wiped out the city in 2005, but in fact, an organization called Rebuilding Together was formed in Midland, Texas in 1973, and the New Orleans branch was founded in 1988. Rebuilding Together works with low-income and elderly homeowners to provide critical health and safety home repairs so that the elderly and low-income people can afford to maintain their homes and stay living in them. Since their inception, Rebuilding Together has revitalized over 1,700 homes in New Orleans. William Stout, welcome out to lunch. Thanks for having me on. Nicole, the cost of buying land, buying houses, and renovating them is so great that Jericho Road can't rely on just individual owners. You depend instead on the backing of major contributions from banks, federal agencies, and other large funders. With this funding, Jericho Road is making a fairly significant impression on local housing. In under 20 years, you've invested almost $40 million in the local real estate market. You've rehabbed over 270 houses, and you've built and sold over 100 houses. And you've co-developed over 260 rental units. Those kind of numbers would be respectable for any property developer. The main element that sets you apart from a regular property developer is labor cost. You're able to keep the cost of labor down by using volunteers. 
But even if you paid for labor, it seems that you have worked out a formula that drastically restructures the method that people with low incomes can finance themselves into a house. Is there any way to scale this so that hundreds of thousands of more people could become homeowners? Or would that append the entire real estate market to the point where you would be financially disruptive? So, wow. <laughs> we do a lot. Um, yeah. But um, really, I don't think it would... To answer your question in a short, no, it will not upend the real estate market. What we're finding, particularly here in New Orleans, is there is not enough housing that is affordable to regular, everyday New Orleanians. To all of the folks who work in the tourism industry, to all of the people who make our economy go. And so that would not upend the economy. It actually would help to grow the economy because they would not only be able to live, afford to live in the community that they work in and that they support, it would also create greater stability for neighborhoods as people are putting and are invested in those neighborhoods and not finding themselves moving all the time to find an affordable rental unit. So it's it actually would do nothing but help bolster our economy. Now I drive through Central City all the time and it certainly is improving but I don't think you'll run out of projects. Well, it, it you know, it, when you were talking about the, what it takes in terms of being able to build a, an affordable house, the capital stack that we have to put together to build one house is is just daunting. Um, for a thirteen hundred and thirty square foot house, on average, well, prior to this extreme increase that we've seen in lumber, the total development cost cost for one of those homes was about two hundred and twenty five thousand dollars, which is not affordable to someone who is at eighty percent of the area median income. So we have to not only find the money to build the house, but we also have to find the money to fill the gap so that we can sell the house to a person that they can afford it. And so um, we were talking a little bit before we started to record about what's happening with lumber prices. We've seen an increase in at least $30,000 minimally to, to, build a home. to build a home for lumber. We're actually doing something that's really innovative and kind of cool. Um, we're building a house with metal framing, which was unheard of before because it, the cost was so prohibitive. And I remember the three little pigs, and uh, <laughs> metal was the fourth pig, I believe. There's uh, Now, William, we all know houses in our neighborhoods that have fallen into disrepair for one reason or another. What we generally don't know is what those reasons are. Most of us accept the fact that a certain house on our street is a wreck, and maybe we assume that the person who lives there just didn't care. The truth apparently can be quite different. People who are elderly or disabled often don't have enough income to keep up with home maintenance. Rebuilding together is focused not just on the upkeep of these types of homes, but also on remodeling or repairing houses so the elderly people can continue living in the homes while they age. This is an amazing initiative, and I'm sure you have people that work on publicity and get you on shows like this, for example, but in general, if a person is living in a difficult situation, if their home is crumbling around them, how would this person hear about you and go about enlisting your services? The number one source of how people hear about us is actually word of mouth. Um, and so we're on the news a bunch. We're happy to be here today talking about the problem, but so many New Orleanians can't afford basic uh, meals or food or, or healthcare. And so when you're talking about a $1,200 roof repair, that's an entire month of social security for most of our families. And so absolutely, um, we have way more need than, than we have the ability to help. Um, 
but word of mouth, unfortunately, is somebody sees our work and then they call because there isn't just one person on a block that needs help that you were talking about. There's whole neighborhoods that need assistance. And so and Nicole was doing an amazing job of bringing new families into the community, but we're making sure that our long-term stakeholders, our New Orleanians, the fabric of so many neighborhoods are able to stay for as long as they're able. I, I knew you two know each other because when you came in, you did that secret nonprofit urban restructuring handshake, which I think <laughs> is, uh, which is pretty terrific. Nicole, um, one of the things that makes, well, really it's both of you, that allows you to do this is lower labor costs. Are these volunteers, I mean, I, I keep thinking, because I teach at Tulane, people that have like alternative spring breaks and decide not to just do shots of Jägermeister in Panama City or something. Is, is it these kind of groups that you bring in? So for our Jericho, for our construction, we don't use volunteer groups. We actually have, um, we work with, with local contractors, but we also have a workforce development construction crew that we have, it's been going on like two years now, and it was a part of our um, acquisition of another nonprofit called Project Homecoming. I, I was careful to say acquisition because the lawyers get crazy when I say merger. Oh, wow. But for everyday folks, you know, we came together, <laughs> you know, yeah. and we're one great big happy family now. But, um, and so Project Homecoming had a workforce development crew where they um, had young men who were unemployed or underemployed previously to work um, an, with an on-the-job on training mechanism to build their homes. And when we came to Jericho, we decided to formalized the program a little more. We did a we had a great partnership with the Louisiana Workforce Commission, Job One and Delgado to have formal certified training for our trainees and now they're working on building houses for us and they're learning they're earning while they're learning. And the pandemic didn't even stop it. For example, they couldn't go to in-person classes in, in at Delgado. So we hired their actual instructor from Delgado to come and work with us every day so they can continue learning. So uh, that, it, but it's still a great balancing act trying to figure out how we continue to build houses, particularly in what's happening with the economy and particularly what's happening with, with lumber um, to make sure that we afford these opportunities to residents all over the city. So this is sort of a, a second kind of a lanya part of this. I mean, you're building these homes, which is helping so many people, but you're building, you're creating a, a workforce. We're creating a workforce, a workforce with family sustaining wages, and ideally for us, we're going to also in, um, include training for them in electrical plumbing, HVAC, and particularly in New Orleans, it's important for us to look at plaster and iron work. These are trades that are slowly dying because we don't have people taking up the mantle, and so we want to be able to preserve our rich architectural history, and frankly, someone who is a master plasterer can write their own ticket. Right, it'd be tough to get them to so, do your project. So yes. Now, William, tell me about the kinds of things you're, you're doing. I keep thinking... Oh, steps and handrails, things that would help people. Is it bigger than that? Oh, absolutely. So anything from last year we did a new construction project all the way to just going into a bathroom and putting a grab bar, that's where our organization serves. And certainly most of our projects are addressing one, what we would say mechanical issue, HVAC, plumbing, uh, foundation, and then all of the other things that make it to homeowner can get and access the home safely. So grab bars are, are huge. Uh, even some of the lead work that we're doing and making sure that our, our homeowners uh, or young children sometimes and homeowners aren't being uh, uh, having lead in their homes uh, is a certain, is a lot. But essentially what we look at is, is that what are the home health safety risks and how are we able to address them as an organization? 
Now, when you think about your labor force, is it more of that volunteer group? So we, we have uh, about 1,500 volunteers a year that support our organization. We actually just had our big crawfish boil this past weekend, and we had about 100 volunteers come to five different sites this Saturday. We built in the morning, we boiled in the afternoon. Um, but during the pandemic, we had none of those volunteers, and we went from 1,500 to 500 overnight. And so one of the ways that we address comparably to Nicole's workforce development is our AmeriCorps program, which is a great way to get young people involved, take a gap year, get an educational award, and really do some good in the community. And that is a huge component of how we are able to serve so many homeowners every year. And William, you know, sometimes when we think about restoring the inner city and trying to help people, the, the criticism is always that somebody comes in and tells them what they need as opposed to asking folks what they need. Is that one of your first steps, I guess? That, yeah, I mean, that, there's so many layers to that, to that problem and to the solution, but generally our homeowners are asking for help. And that's the big part is that we're not going to go to a house that doesn't need our help. And actually our homeowners are waiting at least a year usually to be to be helped because of the need being so great. We were looking at just some data points before getting here and we had about 300 homeowners call from since September just for new services, not including the people that are already on our wait list. And so we, we're not gonna go somewhere we're not needed. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with William Stout from Rebuilding Together New Orleans and Nicole Barnes from the Jericho Road Episcopal Housing Initiative. And Nicole, I kind of waited to ask this question, but chronologically, tell me what happens. You, you see uh, a lot, an empty lot. Is that, and then what are the steps after that? So Jericho Road, right after the hurricane, a number of the nonprofits were able to do a bit of land banking with the with guidance from the New Orleans Redevelopment Authority and the City of New Orleans so that we can acquire nuisance properties or properties that have been abandoned and properties that have been um, sold back to the state through the old road home program. So we had a, we had a bank of properties that we were working through. We're almost through them now. <laughs> but um, And so we start there with the lot that we're talking about. But you touched upon something we were talking to William about giving the the community what they actually want. And Jericho Road has a really robust um, community engagement program because of that. So we didn't go into the neighborhood and say, this is what we're going to do. We started to work with the neighbors to find out exactly what they want. And so we helped start three neighborhood associations in Central City so that neighbors could have their own voices. And so they are, you know, they've been really active with advocating for themselves about all of the issues that happen in and around um, Central City. Just last summer, when there was a shooting on a block and on the on 7th Street that um, was very disruptive to all of the neighbors there and to some of the homeowners that we helped um, to move in, we were able to work with Councilmember Jay Banks's office, the um, captain of the Sixth District Police off. Um, we had someone from the mayor's office. We had Cure Violence. Here. Everybody came together we're on a Zoom, um, but we were really able to get a resolution for those neighbors in that block. We had stuff the patrols. There was a huge drug bust there because that was a source of the activity. So a lot of of what we do is not just building homes. We have we work on vacant land management to um, address blighted and abandoned properties. All of those things because you, community development is not just building sticks and bricks. It's really about working with the community, responding to the community, and creating what the community wants for their 
community. I'm going to use that term sticks and bricks. Oh. It's uh, they, but it, so when you build the house, is it pre-sold? Do you know who's going to be living in there? A lot of the time, because we so we also do financial coaching, individual financial coaching. People who are at a really low income, it becomes really difficult for them to do the curative credit work that they need to do to accumulate a savings for, you know, for down payment and closing costs and to also be able to qualify for a mortgage. So we start to work with families sometimes two and three years before they're actually mortgage ready. And so, but most of the time when we start a house, we have a number of people who are ready to buy. <laughs> Sometimes they're in competition. Right now we're looking, we're in pre-development, extreme pre-development for two houses in Train Park. We have eight families that are really mortgage ready and want to buy those houses. So typically we do have um, buyers lined up and if something should happen, that buyer goes away, we usually have a backup as well. And William, uh, I'm trying to get a grip on your footprint. Is it not just New Orleans itself? So Rebuilding Together New Orleans is just New Orleans, um, but we are a part of a national affiliate nonprofit. And so there's about 120 affiliates across the country. And collectively, we share the same mission and the same vision that everyone has a right to live in a safe and healthy house. So we're supported by that mothership in D.C., um, but we are an independent 501c3 nonprofit in New Orleans. And we work exclusively Which in is Orleans. Is a French term for we can give you money and it's tax deductible, I guess? Okay. We. <laughs> so uh, we, when we have disasters, we were in Lake Charles for Laura and Delta. We went to Houston and trained the Rebuilding Together affiliate there for after Harvey. But our organization is an independent nonprofit here in New Orleans. Now, you came out of uh, Preservation Resource Center. And it's funny because... Um, you were kind of spun off, I guess, and and Nicole, you um, acquired another group, and uh, it's it's funny. It sounds like things work pretty well. And in corporate America, seventy percent of all mergers and acquisitions don't meet expectations. But you're you're at lunch. Things seem to be have, have gone <laughs> have gone fine. It's a uh, uh, what about the you, you mentioned all the things that made last year difficult, William? What did you do regarding the pandemic? I mean, could you even? We physically send people for about a month we were completely work from home and it was uh, our field team was dying these guys are out in the helping homeowners we were getting call after call after call because people were stuck in their houses people were being told to stay at home and if your home is not safe <laughs> that's even more of a reminder that you know what's not right and so uh, eventually we were able to kind of roll out um, we were essential services. Uh, we were able to do exterior-only critical emergency repairs. Uh, and from there, we kind of slowly got back to it, you know, two days a week, three days a week, four days a week, and now we're full full back on site. Um, but our homeowners are the most at risk at the time. And so it was how do we weigh what their needs were with the fact that, you know, these are the homeowners that are most at risk to being, uh, and, you know, the last thing we would want is to to bring something like that to a homeowner. And so it was a juggling act for sure. We didn't have volunteers. We had people that were on the payroll and we had to figure out how to make that happen. And it, last year was stressful for sure. Visually, what am I looking at? Like, 20, like an army of people? We have about 18 team members. Uh, we have eight full-time uh, staff members and another uh, 10 AmeriCorps members. And so, um, yeah, and then when you add volunteers, it can be quite a, quite a visual. <laughs> <laughs> Nicole, one of the things that's just really hit me now is we, we talked about you're building the house. That's going to be great for somebody. You're training people. 
as tradesmen, that's that's terrific. But I keep thinking of the other economic advantages of owning a house. Like, for instance, every if you have a house, you can get a home equity loan. Maybe that you could help start a business. Or um, what else is there that I'm not that I'm missing? So. That is what's so great about thinking about what people's needs are. One of the things that we've developed is a post-purchase workshop, we call it, and we provide um, these workshops for our clients who have bought homes, and not just our clients, anyone, any other nonprofit who has sold a house to someone who has a homeowner who wants to participate, any community member really who wants to participate can. And what we do at that time is help um, our clients who may have not, they may not have been in an ownership situation previously, so they don't have a house that their parents didn't own. They don't have a house that was passed down to them from their parents. So we really want them to not only think about owning a home as your shelter, but how you how it is an asset and how the equity in your home can work for you, whether it's to start a business, whether, whether it's to send your kids to college. And so as a part of our post-purchase workshops, we have all sorts of topics. We have a financial planner who comes in to do just that. We have, um, right before termite season, we have a pest control company come in. (laughs) We all know we need that in New Orleans. Right before the summer, we have an HVAC person come in to talk about how to get your unit ready. We also have someone come in and talk about foreclosure, even we hope no one ever needs it, but just in case. And because we know that when someone's in trouble with a mortgage, they start to freeze. They don't open the letters that come from the mortgage company. They don't talk to anyone. So we just want to put that information out there in case anyone ever needs to know it. So we really want our homeowners to be best positioned and acclimated to homeownership and to realize what this asset can do for them in their lives. Can I jump in? I was just going to say that you know, on the opposite side, we have so many homeowners that have this generational wealth that they've been able to pass down. And so, so many times what we're seeing is they're not able to take care of the property. And so that it gets passed down or it doesn't get passed down. And there's speculators, there's investors, there's people that are taking these properties and paying next to nothing for them, turning around and making that wealth. And so what we are trying to do is make sure that those homeowners, even if we're trying to keep them in the house. The secondary benefit of our work is they get to take benefit of that generational wealth. They get to actually see that property appreciate in value and stay in the seventh ward, stay in Treme. Uh, and so that's, it, it's two sides of the same coin is what Nicole and I are trying to do. I mean, we refer people to um, rebuild it together all the time because we have community members who just need help. I mean, so much so that we, We did a very small um, owner-occupied rehab program for seniors in our neighborhood just because we know everybody we referred them to had long waiting lists already. So we said, let's apply for a grant, see if we could do it, right? And so we helped 22 um, seniors in our neighborhood to be able to just do very small projects, but very needed projects, you know, that they for health and safety um, repairs to their homes. So it's just, you know... Think about our economy. Think about how people in the in the tourism industry, the average person, at least 30% of the people in the tourism industry make $24,000 a year or less. You can't live on that. But if you had a house that was passed down to you from your parents, free and clear, think about how much farther that $24,000, $30,000 a year would go to take care of your family. And so that's what's most important about stressing the importance of home ownership. It's the number one way we build assets in America. And we don't want to leave any segment of the population behind. You know, one of the things I always talk to people about is, even if you were rich, um, you need, you should be rooting for the the lower middle class and the middle class because they're buying the things that are actually (laughs) helping your company. They're working in your business. I mean, so many of our homeowners are worked at 
in hospitality for 30 years and then you look at their paycheck and you look at their what their take home is every month and you're saying okay there's literally no way that you can make this repair and <laughs> this is the people that run our community this is the people that make sure new orleans happens and you know we didn't I, a lot of us had no idea how um, how difficult everything was until after katrina where you went around a lot of people didn't have you know clear title to homes uh um we were a real mess but you're making us less of a mess. There's a, no, you're making a huge impact. Thank you both very much. The uneven distribution of wealth in our country and in our city is a gap all of us would like to see closed or at least narrowed. Nobody wants wealthy people to become less wealthy, but we all agree that it would be a good thing if less wealthy people had more access to resources. The most fundamental way most of us can get greater wealth and hand it on to the next generation is through widespread home ownership. It's fairly well accepted that we can be a nation of homeowners without upending the economy or unleashing an economic revolution. We just need to stop talking about the widening wealth gap and instead find ways to start closing it. It can be done. It's not easy. It requires vision for a community, dedication to an economic and financial plan, and frankly, hard work. Uh, there are people actively working on this issue. Nicole and William, you're, you're two of the people in this field who are really making a difference. Thank you very much for everything you're doing, and thank you both for taking the time to join me today on Out to Lunch. Thanks so much. Thank you. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Nicole Barnes, Executive Director of the Jericho Road Episcopal Housing Initiative, and William Stout, Executive Director of Rebuilding Together New Orleans. Now, we edited this show to fit into the time slot here in WWNL, but you can hear the unedited conversation and find out more about Nicole and William's inroads into affordable housing by listening to the Out to Lunch podcast. You can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch podcast anywhere you get podcasts and on our website, itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we look like, you can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com and on our Out to Lunch social media. These photos were taken today by Jill LaFleur. You can find more of Jill's photos at LaFleurphoto.com. In future shows, we're going to be talking with other people who are working on the issue of affordable housing, and we'll take a look at their plans for closing the wealth gap. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris, our technical producer is Eric Merle, and our researcher is Maggie Mendel. Today's show was engineered by Blake Longlinay. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the lunch table for more business New Orleans style on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch was recorded live over lunch at the NOLA Brewing Tap Room, 3001 Chapatula Street, open seven days a week. NOLA Brewing Tap Room has a wide variety of craft beers and authentic hand-tossed New York-style city pizza by NOLA Pizza. More information is at nolabrewing.com. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. Jones Walker. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And by Peony on Magazine Street, exceptional women's and children's clothes and gifts. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. 